Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. This is John Henney from Henney Jewelers. My family has helped thousands of Pittsburghers celebrate life's special moments since 1887. We are so excited to have our doors open once again. You can be sure we've gone above and beyond to keep our team and our customers as safe as possible. From in-store and virtual appointments to curbside pickup and drop-off, the Henny team will adapt to your comfort level. Plus, you can shop 24-7 at HennyJewelers.com. We can't wait to celebrate more Henny moments with you. Henny Jewelers, your jewelers for life. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Hello, everyone. This is Eagles Hall of Fame quarterback Ron Jaworski, and I am so excited to bring you the hottest new podcast for the NFL and gaming. Welcome to Jaws Picks, featuring me, Ron, Ron Jaworski, and some of the most famous names in sports, music, and entertainment, as I give you my expert analysis and predictions of each and every NFL game. <coughs> so far this season, my predictions are over 55% correct against the spread. That's a pretty good number, folks. And over 67% picking winners straight up. You do not want to miss out on this podcast. Every week, I will tell you who, how, and why each NFL game will be decided. Take the guesswork and stress out of gaming and subscribe to Jaws Picks wherever you get your podcast. That's Jaws Picks wherever you get your podcast. Stay safe, take care, and let's make some beer money. Welcome to Real Gym Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Matt Moore of the Action Network, and this is the first of our 2020-21 tiers podcasts, and I'll let Matt explain it, but he, I let him choose the prompts, and he chose a really fascinating one. Great conversation, really clarifying for, I think, both of us about how we're thinking about the league going into the beginning of the season. Also, of course, discussion of how the Westbrook wall trade affects both those teams and a lot of other fun points along the way. Hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I love doing this with you. Absolutely. And as is often the case with the two of us, the way I do it is when we're talking about this is I say, you can pick whatever criteria you want, just give me a little bit of notice. And what you picked for this one was, I think, a really clarifying process for me. And I want you to walk people kind of through it. Yeah. So I decided to do floor. So if we talk about this season, we've obviously got COVID concerns. It's that some teams have been off for months. Some teams have been off for two months. Um, it's going to be a, a very different season. And so I think highest floor matters. It's who we know, or at least who right now we think we know. These teams will be at least 
this good. Uh, and that was kind of the, the idea that I had was like, let's inst- we usually talk about this in terms of the championship. And with a championship, you have to go like you have to find your ceiling. Like you have to hope that you stay healthy and that you're able to be the best version of yourself to get through the the rigors of the regular season and the intensity of the playoffs. But this kind of gives us a better sense of if we're looking at the lay of the land from now, at least until the playoffs and even in the playoffs to a certain degree, what can we count on with these teams? What's like the baseline for these teams? What's the floor for how good these teams will be? Yeah. And so the way just to, to walk people a little bit through how I thought about it. So I, I didn't really consider the potential for serious injuries that have not yet occurred other than a very loose shift for you know the the difference between some stars are injury more injury prone than others so like Damian Lillard doesn't really miss much time and Kristaps Porzingis does and I think that affects how you think about those two teams because there's a little bit of expected expected value for games it's kind of like Pelton does in his projections and everything else so I did a little bit of that but not too much and then the other thing I thought about a little bit, but I didn't weigh it too heavily, was the idea of the teams changing their roster significantly. So, you know, like there are, for example, you know, there seems like the Thunder where we could see them trade a bunch of guys to get worse. I didn't put too much of that in, though I did put a little bit, and then I'll put in one caveat. There's one team that I actually have in two different tiers, and that's Houston, because it's with and without a Harden trade, just because I thought there's so, that's such a stark difference. I thought it'd be fun to kind of have them in both places yeah see i went the, i went uh i took the, a similar but different approach in that um there are three tiers and then the rockets and then there are three tiers <laughs> and so it's like they could they could wind up uh in the bottom tier they could wind up in the top tier i don't it's impossible i think really to get a sense for them like, you know i deal with uh odds a lot at, at action network obviously and so one of the things that um, I, I pay real close attention to is is where the win totals and championship odds and all that come out. There's only one book right now that's willing to put a number on Houston's win total, uh, the Westgate Superbook. Every other book has them off the board and won't touch them at least until the Harden situation appears to be resolved if the season starts. Yeah, and it's entirely possible that it doesn't re- that that it resolves by nothing happening before then, and then maybe a deal happens in season or deadline, you know, like in that time period. Um, I assume we'll start at the top. I think that's still you know because you could with four start at the bottom, but I think we'll we'll keep it we'll keep it more intriguing for people. And I'll let you go first. How did you decide in your top tier and who is in it? So I have five teams in my tier one, and these are teams that I feel comfortable no matter the circumstances, they're going to be good throughout the course of the season. Now, I have the Lakers in here despite knowing that LeBron's probably going to take games off. So I think an important caveat for my tiers is that I factored in the idea of if they choose to engage in the game. Yeah, that's generally what I did too. Like that's a – it's an important distinction because there will be a lot of games this year that teams are just going to give up on. I looked it up and there's going to be 72 games in 146 days counting the All-Star break. So it's going to be less than 146 days. So we're going to see the schedule is going to be a little bit of a mess. And we're going to see a lot of teams just be like, nope, we can't win that one. Get rid of it. Like, let's just go ahead and rest, guys. Well, and are we going to see, especially with some of the specifics going on right now, are we going to see, like, let's say it's a one-game one trip, players just not take the flights. I, yeah. I'm interested in how that's going to work out. Yeah. But if if these teams engage, what is their baseline floor? I have the Lakers, despite uh, some offensive questions. I think that their offseason additions 
made them a little bit better in that regard. So the Lakers are there. The Bucks, because this has been the the Bucks have been the highest floor team in the league. Like they just smash everybody. Even when Giannis isn't there, they've smashed teams. Um, they have great. Their bench has played great. The, all of their issues have to deal with in the playoffs. They always seem to manage to find their floor, and the other team manages to find their ceiling. And so um, the Bucks never find their ceiling in the playoffs, and that's their issue. But for a floor perspective, it's got to be the Bucks. I have the Nuggets here, which is an interesting one. Um, one of the reasons I have the Nuggets is that they've proven that they're great whenever stars are missing. They had that infamous Utah-Milwaukee back-to-back when they had seven guys, won them both. Uh, they tend to play not – they don't really find their ceiling in the regular season. They are definitely a playoff team. Uh, that's where they tend to thrive. But the Nuggets as a floor, they're just so good with Jokic all the time that they should, even with losing Grant, their floor should still be high enough to be included in this tier. They're also really great in clutch time. Uh, the Raptors, I remember this list. Uh, I've got, uh, again, five teams, so Lakers, Bucks, Nuggets, Raptors, and then the Heat, because mm-hmm. I think Miami found last year a model. They play good enough defense and have enough shooting to where they're going to win more, most games every single night. I think it's interesting. I have three East teams and only two West teams, but that's where my floor shakes out. Lakers, Bucks, Nuggets, Raptors, Heat. One of the challenges that I had doing this was kind of reconciling regular season and playoffs. I think I tilted a little bit more toward a little bit more towards playoffs, so that some of the differences that we'll have aren't necessarily strong differences of opinion. Like Denver is a little bit a little bit challenging for me to have them a little bit lower, but. The I'll, I'll, So I have actually the kind of your top teams split in two tiers. And the reason why, so what, tier one is for me, if healthy, they're in. Like, I don't really have doubts about their roster at all. It's just, and, and so, and that's the Lakers and the Clippers. And the reason why the Clippers are there is because I think they only need one of their two stars playing at a given moment to be a very good team. And now with Ibaka, they have this different playoff viability. That's kind of more of a topic that I'm sure we'll get into in a future podcast. And then the Lakers are here just because they're, I think their defensive, their defensive backbone is still pretty strong and they have high end talent, like both of their best players. You know, I brought this up with the Clippers. It's even stronger for me with the Lakers that if either one of their best players plays, they have a pretty good shot against most teams. And so they have that. And then my tier two, which is the little split off of that is I called it, it might not work. And that's the bucks and the heat for me. And the reason why is because Milwaukee, this roster is meaningfully different. Like, I think that you're right that they, they've had the highest four, but now with Wes Matthews gone, with George Hill gone, with the bench being very different, I, I think Budenholzer is going to do a good job. And I think in the regular season, they'll probably be totally fine. But it's like, you know, they're going to need something from DiVincenzo. They're going to need to figure out some of these bench spots. So I'm a little bit queasier on them than I am with the other teams, though I could absolutely see the Bucks Like, this is a floor thing. If this were ceiling or expected value, they would be in that tier one. And Miami... I have them here because partially I think that they might go back to some of the like kind of lower ceiling stuff in the regular season to keep maybe if they, you know, they, I think there are two different theories and we'll find this out with like the Myers Leonard thing. So one of them is they signed him to be like a trade asset, you know, maybe an Oladipo deal or something like that. But the other theory is they signed him to that to play him. And Myers Leonard's not a, you know, a terrible player, but Miami, the best version of the Heat is with. 
Bam at the five, and you go with some of these like swarming attacking groups. But I don't know that Spo and Riley want to do that full time, and so maybe it's unfair to like knock the Bucks for the for kind of more for the playoffs and knock the Heat more for the regular season. But that's just kind of like when I was thinking about floors, that's how I separated those two. It's interesting that I'm looking at this now, and I kind of realize the difference I have between tier one and tier two is legitimately that tier one is they have talent and a supporting structure around that talent. Sure. Uh, And tier two is basically, for me, just talent. It's like, okay, you know, they may not have the best chemistry. They may not have the best defense. They may not have the best scheme. They may be limited in coaching, although some of these are really well-coached teams. Um, but they have enough guys at the top to be able to just like, okay, they're going to win enough games. Like they're just going to win. They have enough guys that are of a certain caliber to win. Um, I think that's interesting between the, the top tier, which I, I really have is like the nuggets. I just look at it and I'm like, they have Jokic, they have Murray. Like they just have they stuff have, figured out. Like I think that's kind yeah. of another another way of doing it. Is that yeah, and and when you think about the floor, I like that you brought up coaching and structure and all that stuff because that's an important part of this. It's not just how good are your guys and how much are they going to play. It's how much is changing? Is the system largely going to be the same? Do you think they're going to try night in night out? And that's the that's the big limitation for me why I feel a little bit queasy about putting the Clippers in a higher tier is just we don't know how much the caring index might not be super high for them, but it also might not be super high for anyone else. I think it might be the top teams coming down to the Clippers level rather than the Clippers, you know, rising above that. Um, so I'll go through my next tier because it kind of covers some of the teams that we've already gone into, which is what I called it was definitely good, not definitely great. So they're all, they're all teams that I feel strongly about, but just for whatever, and a lot of them, it's because they got weaker this year. And so that's the Celtics, the Raptors, the Nuggets, and the Mavericks. And the Celtics might've been in my tier two were it not for the uh, Kemba Walker stuff that's coming out. I'm a, I'm getting a little bit scared about his knee and that changes their floor because Kemba, as as much as this is becoming a Jason Tatum team, not only does not have like having Kemba change their offensive dynamic, but also they don't have a great replacement. Like it, the ripple effects in their rotation aren't perfect. They're not bad. I mean, the Celtics are a plenty deep team. That was the thing for me. The Raptors, they they didn't get that much worse at center, but they got a little bit worse. And so it's kind of a regular season playoff thing. The Nuggets, I just want to see it. You know, like I, I really liked where they were going. And I think that I'm not saying they made the, like it wasn't even necessarily their decision with Jeremy Grant or anything else. I just kind of want to see it a little bit more. And I think that they'll, you know, like, that the, like uncertainty lowers a floor for me. That's just the way it always works. And then the Mavericks are here because their offense is unbelievable. I think that it will be worse, but very good again. And then we'll see what happens with Porzingis and everything else. But I think their defense will be a little bit better. So I think they're a very good team, but I don't think they're going to be an elite team this year, though I'm not foreclosing the possibility. An interesting thing with the Nuggets is, is, uh, and I I can get accused of being uh, a quote-unquote homer, even though I'm not from here or a fan of the team, but I I cover the Nuggets is – I do think it's important to note Grant didn't start most of last year. Right. And and he, he also like his BPM and all that stuff was horrendous for a bunch of yeah. different reasons. Yeah, and like the numbers with Gary Harris and Paul Millsap on the floor, the Nuggets have like a one oh three defensive rating with those two on the court. Right. Which like that's 
Uh, that's like the secret to their defense. Like, what the hell happened to their defense in the playoffs? The, well, Gary Harris was on the court. And yeah, and, and, and Millsap, like, there were all these other challenges in, in play with that. So Yeah. Uh, my tier two is just talent, talent, talent. That's just the name of it. And it's Clippers, who I have a lot of criticisms for and think that they're – they were I, I bet against them last year, and that was my biggest payoff in the playoffs was betting against them versus Denver. Um, they are not a complete team. Was I that, wait, just uh, as a quick interjection, was that your biggest payoff, even Heat over Bucks? Yes. Wow. Because I put I put more on okay. on and actually I think the numbers were actually wider because by the problem was with Heat over Bucks, by that time, everyone was betting the Heat. Like I I if I could have bet Heat over Bucks in like January, <laughs> I would have. If I could have gotten them at the start of the playoffs to get in the series, I would have. But I didn't want to take Heat to win the East, because uh, I thought the Celtics would win. I still think that they should have. But um I couldn't get the number. And so by the time that the, 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 the number hit the market, they were they already knew that most of the high level analysts and a lot of times the wonks go that way, were gonna be like, Yeah, there's value on here on Miami, especially at this number. Um mm-hmm. versus the Clippers, like I was on an island. Like nobody nobody believed in the Nuggets. So um Clippers, you know, I don't I, I'm not a hundred percent sold on Ty Lu. I think he was great for the Cavs. I just don't know if he's a great coach. Like I don't know if he's gonna is because he solved the problems in Cleveland that they had with the structure, is that going to, to result in the same thing? And the other thing is, like, they finished, in, in Tyler's career, they finished top 10 in defense, only one, and it was 10th in that 2016 season, and then it was, like, 19th and 29th. Mm. And I know this roster is much better, but I'm just saying, like, if coaching, if you're like me and you believe that coaching is such a, or the defense is such a systemic thing that's driven from the coach... I have some concerns that Ty Lue hasn't really shown the ability to build like a consistent top five defense with what, you know, you want this Clippers team to have. Um, but the Clippers are here just because, again, they have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and a lot of nights it's going to be enough. Mavericks, uh, the Jazz. You know, it's funny. I said like, well, I don't know about the coaching differential, but if I actually look at this list, uh, my top two tiers are Lakers, Bucks, Nuggets, Raptors, Heat, Clippers, Mavericks, Jazz, Celtics, Nets, Warriors. So my tier two is Clippers, Mavericks, Jazz, Celtics, Nets, Warriors. I just started thinking about this. I asked myself this question as we were doing this podcast. I was like, wait, what are these coaches? Tier one is uh, Vogel Budenholzer, who for all his playoff issues is a great regular season coach. Uh, Malone. Uh, why am I blanking on, on Toronto? Nurse. Nurse. Um, Spolstra. Lou. Carlisle. Snyder. Stevens. The net situation, which I guess Steve Nash is the coach. Uh, and Steve Kerr. Like, I've just listed everybody that I think is in, like, my top eight to ten of of coaches. But, yeah. Uh, Clippers, Mavericks, Jazz, Celtics, Nets, and Warriors. I'm very high on the Celtics this year. I'm much higher on the Warriors than most. I have the Nets here. I wanted to put them lower, but I just don't know enough about them to doubt them. So I gave them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, so I ended up with the um, actually I have I have the 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 Jazz and the Nets in my next tier down, but that's also like so for me with the Jazz, it's just kind of I I just kind of want to see it a little bit more. I mean, remember like they're gonna have Bogdan Bogdan or Bojan Bogdanovich back now. I think yeah. that and and they're they're deep enough, you know, and especially adding favors back. I don't know exactly how Quinn Snyder is gonna run the rotation, but. Nate and I were talking about this, that basically like their top eight, nine is really strong now. And it gets a little shaky after that, but it does for almost everybody. And so 
that'll help them. I seriously considered putting the Jazz in my tier three. Like, kind of, is there a line between the Jazz and the Mavs? And, like, for me, I just have more... I have more faith that Dallas will have a great offense and a good enough defense than the Jazz just because I kind of want to see how it works out. But that could be wrong. Like, And then if we're talking expected value, I think that you could argue the Jazz should be higher, especially because their guys should be healthy. Um, and the Nets, it for me, it's, it's the, just this, the very basic of, I want to see Kevin Durant on the floor. If Kevin Durant, even, and I have tempered expectations of him because I'm scared of Achilles injuries. As well, as soon as I see that, like I could honestly move them up a tier within the preseason, like on this criteria. It's just I I'm always very shaky when a, a player who I love is coming back from a, an injury that is scary, just to make sure that they're the same dude. And then with the Warriors, that's an interesting split behind between the two of us. And I I think it's probably more about how much time does Steph Curry play? Because when the Warriors are are like even it's not going to be full strength, but when they have Curry and Draymond and enough supporting cast, I think they're going to be really good. But the non-Curry minutes, both when he is healthy and just off the floor and when he is not on the, you know, like in games he misses, I think could be a big problem. Yeah, I just don't know what to make of this team. I don't know what to make of any of it. I just don't. I like. I re, I'm really just like the Nets are a complete mystery to me. I'm willing to go ahead and wait to see what they look like. Um, the Warriors, I think. Are, did you have Warriors in this pack? No, I actually have the Warriors in my tier five. I'm so confused, Danny. I'm so confused. Like the Warriors and the Blazers are the two teams that I'm most mystified about in the season in terms of what the public NBA Twitter discussion is on them. Um, as a point, like the in the win totals, the lowest for the Blazers is 40 and a half. The highest for Golden State is 39. So the market is saying that at the very minimum, the Blazers are a game and a half better. Than the Warriors. Than the Warriors. That I do not agree with. Then this is primarily because we did this as floor. I think if I if we did this as expected value, like I, I actually have those two teams pretty close. But I mean, with the, with the Warriors, th- there's a very basic thing that I think sometimes gets lost, and this is true. You know, like I guess it wasn't last year, but last year was such an anomaly considering he barely played. Whether we're talking with Durant, pre Durant, even with Mark Jackson to an extent. The Warriors' offense has been great whenever Stephen Curry's been on the floor. Yeah, And I think that gets lost in a lot of this stuff. It's like, you, there shouldn't be fear. Yeah, maybe last year, in that limited amount of time you played, they weren't very good. But that's that's an entirely different conversation. Um, and their roster was bare bones because of um, hard cap and ev- everything else that was going on. And also, Curry didn't play. They were terrible when he played, but he didn't play that much. And their defense is a big question mark. I mean, I think at least to start the year, Draymond's going to try and they have okay defensive personnel even without Clay. We'll see who actually gets minutes. That's going to be an important question. But yeah, so I, I mean, I think that the theory behind, but like, like if we're talking ceilings, even without Clay, I think the Warriors ceiling is still pretty high. Um, but their floor, you know, like if it doesn't quite work is I think that they have a very good offense when Curry's on the floor. Their defense is fine. And then they're underwater in the non-him minutes. And so that means they're, you know, around a 500 team. It's just crazy to me because um, if we just, you know, so much of this does come down to talent. It's like talent plus coaching, right? Yeah. And the depth helps, and the depth helps you get into like helps you get into higher tiers. I think. Agreed. But if we look at like the Clippers, okay, 
Um, Kawhi Leonard and Steph Curry. I think most people would probably say that Kawhi is a better overall player, but I would say that Steph's more impactful. Sure. Um, and then you've got like the second best player and you can say like, okay, Draymond's not what he used to be. And you know, Paul George is a much more complete player and that's fine. But then like after that with the Clippers, who do we look at as like the third best player? Lou at 34? Is it Zubach? Is it Marcus Morris? I think I versus think, with the Warriors. Go ahead. No, go. I, so I think with the Clippers, they have a lot more viable options. There isn't a clear cut single guy. I mean, Beverly can be there at nights. Ibaka can be there at nights. You know, maybe Zubats and, and Marcus Morris and Lou Williams will absolutely have games. Um, and then we'll see Kennard. what Kennard does. I mean, that'll yeah. be that'll be interesting. But like for the for the Warriors, especially without Clay, I mean, they're two guard rotation is going to be a little bit weird. Like, I mean, I guess they're probably going to start Ubre and Wiggins together and then play Damian Lee after that, which is fine. You know, like that's, that's not the worst thing in the world, but then your spacing gets a little bit impacted by, by the way that can work. And we'll see what Wiggins looks like from a shooting capacity thing. But you are right that the functional depth, the margin between those two teams is closer, but then the other, like if we're talking about floors, the other reason I moved the, the Warriors below is, Draymond in particular, like his production level, we'll call overall impact. I think that's a better way of putting it. Drops so significantly if the team isn't competitive, and so sure. if they're if it hits that, basically, I, I've used the term disaster potential before, and I think the Warriors' disaster potential is modestly high, depending on how much Curry plays, just because they have a lot of guys that are unproven in this. I mean, remember the Warriors' system? It's a lot about you know ball and player movement. It can be un, and and they have guys that haven't really had to do that before, and so does that speak to Kelly Oubre? Does that speak to James Wiseman? Is Kevon Looney even healthy enough to play? And so I, I think that they're, you know, like if we, it's funny, I have them in tier five and I, I mean, that, that seems like I'm super down on the words and I'm not particularly, but it's, you know, I try to hew pretty heavily to the criteria. No, I appreciate that. I think for me, it's, it's crazy because, um, I was very excited last year to see what Steph looked like when he did not have Clay next to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it was sad that, that Clay got hurt. It's regrettable. It's unfortunate. I hate that it happened to him. Everyone loves him. And especially this year, like it sucks, you know, twice as much. But I still, I was like, I want, everyone thinks that if you put Steph Curry on the Knicks, that he would just be as dominant. And I'm like, that's just not true. Like he benefits specifically from the structure the Warriors put around him. And the Warriors benefit from Steph's once in a lifetime talent. And then we started to see that early in the season. And then he got hurt. And I, we, I never got to prove out the notion. Um, but this year, I look at it and I go like, look, last year they lost. They didn't just lose KD. They lost Iguodala and Livingston, and those two guys uh, are absolutely just like they were crucial to that run for the Warriors. Yeah. And so, um, if we look at this, adding Ubre by himself is just such a massive step up. If you put replacement level players around Steph, your floor I think is going to be really high. And I think Ubre is a plus replacement player. Um, I think I Wiggins, agree. for as much of a flawed player as he is, I think Wiggins can at least be described. Like the, the big problem with Wiggins is he should be better than replacement, and he very rarely is in terms of his impact. Um, but when I look at the Warriors, I, I just go, it's Steph and Draymond with a replacement level cast with another year on guys like Pascal, um, who I thought was really good last year. They will coach some dudes up. They've got Wiseman, who's got some potential to be an impact rookie. Like there is more than enough here for me to feel like, um, the, this team is going to be good. I, 
it's weird for me to be this guy, but I absolutely think people are sleeping on the Warriors. It's a totally fair opinion to have. And I also think, especially if they're guys, you know, if they're more rested than rusty, the Warriors could start the year really strong too, because the, the, if they can get, get a, guys kind of into sync a little bit curry if he's healthy will be great that that works and then and and that could be you know it's the idea of momentum really building it forward that could absolutely happen let's go to the celtics i mean i think that by by virtue of kind of them being in a kind of particular place for both of us we might not talk about them but i think the celtics are one of the most fascinating teams in the nba this year so I, i'm in a different place with the celtics as well now the kemba injury i kind of get the problem that I keep having is I don't like I don't look at the at the Celtics and go Kemba is absolutely imperative towards them being good, um, which is crazy considering the money that they spent on him and he was their big acquisition. I, I honestly think a lot of this is just like I don't think people realize how valuable Tatum is because he's not he hasn't hit superstar yet, but he's already so impactful because he's a two way star. He's legitimately great defensively. He's legitimately great offensively. Even if you're like, well, he's not like awesome offensively. Okay, but he's really, 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 really good. Um, And if you're like, well, he's not, you know, Kawhi defensively. Okay, but he's really, 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 really good. And when you have guys like that that you don't have to compensate for, when your star player is not a player that you have to figure out the solutions for their weaknesses, I think it fundamentally reshapes your floor. They're they're exceptionally well coached. Um, They're going to have smart brown Tatum and that combo I have a lot of confidence in and the big thing for me honestly is like Hayward was really good for them and important especially versus the zone like they're gonna have to figure that out if they face the heat again but I think adding Tristan Thompson is a really underrated move like Tristan was legitimately like he had a bounce back last year he looked great and I, I like Tice a lot but when Tice was thrust into the starting front court heavy minutes player I was like that's a lot to ask of him it's not a lot to ask of Tristan. It gives him a pick and roll option. It gives him a guy to handle offensive rebounds. It, he's great defensively. There's so much that I think Thompson will bring to this team that I think that the Celtics drop off, I think, will still be really, really strong. Like I think they'll, they'll, even if, if they take a dip, it will not be a, a massive one. Now, the, the concern may be that I thought they were going to be worse than they were in the regular season because I thought their front court and their front court defense was going to hurt them, and it didn't until the playoffs. But if we say, like, last year they overperformed and they're going to regress from there a little bit, and then they lost Hayward and they're without Kemba, now they slide down into a little bit more trouble. But I have a lot – I think Teague is a perfectly adequate replacement uh, at backup point guard. I think they should have kept Wanamaker. But Agreed. overall, I don't see what the knock is for how the Celtics play to say they're really super going to miss this versus last year's team. I think you hit on something really important with the Tatum-Brown and to a lesser extent smart combination, which is that – is a very sturdy floor in that those guys defend well, they provide enough like overall offense, and because you can put so many different things around them. So yeah, maybe Kemba misses time. You don't have to have somebody who's running everything every single time. And defensively, yeah, I think you don't you don't necessarily have that true stopper, though I think I think Jalen's defense is actually underappreciated as well. But you put a center with that group, you'll probably do pretty dang well. And so that's why I nearly put the Celtics in tier two. And I thought because that the idea that if their guys, if their best guys are around, you can kind of buy it on both ends. And that's pretty much the argument for the Miami Heat. And Stevens is a great coach, just like Spo is a great coach. 
The reason I didn't is just because they have options in the front court, and you got into that. And I actually, there's this is one of those like little signposts I'll throw out there is it wouldn't stun me. I'm not predicting it. It wouldn't stun me if Robert Williams was their best center at the end of this year. Wow. If, if that it, he's kind of figured out, not in every circumstance, but just. I think that he's I think that he's closer to getting to kind of getting and his physical potential like he surprises people that's something I absolutely love and and like he you know and you, they don't need him to do a lot offensively they don't need any of these guys to do a lot offensively and I don't I, I it's possible I'm not saying it's like and, and that's the other part that actually makes I'm not the biggest Tristan Thompson fan but now you have kind of like three different looks you know, like Tice, you can use him in certain circumstances. Also, Tice is really foul prone. Robert Williams can be as well. So now you have somebody else who is, you know, even if Tristan Thompson isn't always a part of the solution definitively, and he very well could be, then you have another option. And I think that's very good for them, especially because I don't buy, you know, like, so you can, in, in other teams, like, obviously Giannis, but he's he's a freaking freight train. You can put a guy who plays nominally power forward you can play him at center and work that stuff i don't really see tatum as that guy especially because the rim protection and all these other issues but they have a lot of other players so they won't have to and i think that's a really good thing for the celtics and yeah i think that the one of the most interesting questions that you and i deal with and this is it's going to be so different this year and i have no calibration for this is how does the passage of time affect your group? And so, like, that's the other kind of big question with the Warriors is, like, there's this, okay, their best players are now heading into their early 30s. How 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 does being a little bit more limited physically affect them? And with the Celtics, with their best, with their core, passage of time should be beneficial as long as they got enough rest. You know, like, I'm not saying these guys got a full offseason to work. They, you know, they played into the Eastern Conference Finals. But just, you know, having that little bit of time and just getting more, you know, in tune physically and everything else, like it could be just an improvement for them as well from where they were from that perspective. Yeah. You mentioned the versatility. I think that that's really big because, okay, so if they're playing playing the Lakers, they can play Tyson Thompson against Gasol Davis and you're no longer just overwhelmed. If they're facing a small ball lineup, you can play either uh, Thompson Tice or Grant Williams or Time Lord at the five spot. Like they have counters upon counters to whatever it is that they're able to. If they play the Heat again, you know they're they've got Thompson, Tice, Time Lord, Grant Williams to throw in combinations, and they can match up with with whatever they get they see. I think that that's really big. It's a really good point that you make there. Um, my third tier, by the way, okay, is I, it's titled "You Deserve a Nod." These are teams that are like good. Like they're going to be pretty good. I've got the Pacers, the Suns, the Blazers, and the Sixers. Um, I think all these teams are deeply flawed. The Pacers will be interesting to see what their offense looks like under new coaching. Um, obviously, they're in an unstable situation with Oladipo, I think. But look, Sabonis, Turner, Brogdon, the Holidays, they have good players. If they shoot more threes, that should help. Um, they're going to be solid. They're going to be good. The Suns, I'm trying to figure this out right now. I'm doing my win totals piece on them right now. Their Pythagorean expectation last year was 507. They should have been basically a 42-43 win team, and they were 38. That was after the 8-0 run. Mm -hmm. They were so massively beneath their expectation, and that's the, the same number bears out even before the bubble. Like, they just were worse in wins than they should have been. Yeah, um, which Dallas was too, correct? Yeah, uh, Dallas should have been very high. Their SRS was incredibly high. Um, I, I want to be skeptical to a certain degree with the Suns just because I'm like, look, they got rid of uh, you know Rubio, who's really good in their plus minus. 
CP3 is an upgrade, but it's like, okay, CP3 is an upgrade in, in like, Rubio's great at defense, and you got even better at defense, even though Paul has, I think, maybe some issues with size that he didn't have a couple of years ago. Got better at shooting, obviously. They're about equal as passers. Um, and then they lost Ubre, but they pick up Jay, who's a mixed bag, I think, all over. They're counting on that internal development you talked about with Cam Johnson um, and, and Bridges. But uh, overall, like the Suns had minimum five, uh, minimum like 100 minutes played, minimum 20 games played. The Suns had the sixth best net rating for a lineup with Rubio, Ubre, uh, Booker, Bridges, Aiton. And they returned three of those five and, and got a clear upgrade at one spot. So it's like the Suns, I think, have to be here. I am including the Blazers simply because I, I, I like I'm just being told how awesome they are and I'm not willing to put them in the, the top tier like a lot of people are. There's a lot of ways I see this Blazer season going sideways. Um, their defense was horrible last year. Yep. And everyone is like, oh, oh, but Nurkic. And I'm like, guys, like I've watched Yusuf's entire career. If you really pay attention, he's not like he's big. That's about it. He's not he's not crafty. He's not he doesn't make quality reads. He doesn't disrupt things underneath. He's just a big body. Um, I think he can improve, but expecting him to take a team from being one of the 10 worst defenses we've seen to a pretty high level, that's that's a lot to ask for. I think Gary Trent's really good. He's still very young. Um, I think Covington's really good, but he didn't look all that awesome last year. Like, he just didn't. Um, so I'm just shocked, but I'm willing to say that I'm wrong on this, and so I'm putting the Blazers into this tier of they're going to be a playoff team, they're going to be pretty good, they're there. I am including the Sixers because I cannot justify putting them higher because every they should be better, but they won't be because they're the Sixers. Yeah, my tier here, I called it over 500, and they're teams that, you know, given the caveats that I've, I've said before, I ex- fully expect them to be over 500, but not really in that tier with, you know, like the Celtics and the, the Nuggets and the Mavs and the Raptors were before. It was like, okay, I, d- those teams, I definitely buy it. Here, it's like there's a reason why it might not totally work. And so my it's a, it's a broader one for me. Sixers, Jazz, Nuggets, Rockets, as is. That's They're in two tiers. Pacers and Blazers. And so we actually ended up with the Blazers in about the same place. So I'll start there. And here's how I'm thinking about Portland. I I do this kind of like offense-defense split, I think, for especially for a floor exercise that's good. And the Blazers are going to have a very good offense. You know, they were, they've had a top six offense. This is using clean the glasses filter. Three of the last five years. And they've been top half every season since 07-08. And so that's obviously going back pre-Lillard and everything else. I think that as long as he plays, they'll be they'll be very good. There have been huge variations in their defense. And here's my thought. I don't think their defense is going to be great. I think that the you know there have been those anomalies, and when the Blazers have been have had their best overall seasons, they've been kind of like unsustainably good. And yeah, sure, there's a chance opponents don't make shots against them and all that kind of stuff. But I see it as like maybe they're around league average. If they're so, here's the idea. let's say they're between twelfth and twentieth in defense. That's an over five hundred team. That's probably a playoff team, even in a strong West. If their offense is top five, top six, so that's kind of like I think that they're. Like their floor, it it's not crazy low just by virtue of that. But I also don't think their ceiling is as high as some of the rosier expectations that I've seen floating around, kind of like you have. Yeah, it's. Um, I think if we talk about floor, like again, I'm willing to just be like I'm putting them here based off of common consensus. But like the floor to me for Portland is is very much like you know the defense is still bad. Dame doesn't understand why they're not winning more. They're scoring all these points but they just can't get stops. Teams are putting up 115 on them every night. 
Um, you know, Nurkic is a negative in, in net rating as he was, by the way, during the bubble. Now, he was coming back from a long layoff. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt there. But I just think a lot hinges on use of Nurkic. And I'm I like I'm just constantly described as a hater of the guy. And it's I, I'm trying to make it very clear. It's like, look, I have he made mistakes, I think, when he was in Denver. I do. I do think that I think that situation was misconstrued by the narrative. But like I'm t- like guys grow up, they change, they're older. It's like it's been years. But my problem is just like Nurkic has to show me that the impact is going to be consistently there. That he's going to stay healthy. That he's going to be there every night. It wasn't that long ago in his career that he was getting benched by Stotts. Like Stotts was the one that was like, "Can't we get yeah. him out there?" Um, and we're just not that far from that. So for him to have like a good run, and he's a player that they have, they like Dame and CJ are constantly talking him up because you have to. Like that's what he, that's what he requires. And I just, I have a lot of concerns about that overall. Uh, my tier four is a rock. Wait, here, let's, let's. I'm gonna talk about a couple more teams in this tier just briefly. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah. So I, I, but with the Blazers, I feel a little bit more comfortable just because they have options. You know, like Canner's not great, but at least like. The, Stotts, the, the the beauty of his system defensively is that they don't ask their centers to do much, and so guys that don't do much can be okay. Though I think the bar, like, I think there's a difference between them being okay and the team actually being good defensively, which is not a guarantee in any way, shape, or form. Um, but then also Philly. Like, Philly, I have them kind of towards the top of this tier along with the Jazz, where it's like, I could easily see them being better, but it's not all the way there yet, so I kind of want to wait. And with Philly... Having more spacing around Embiid and Simmons, having Doc Rivers coaching, I mean, like, that just maybe that leads to a more, cons- even though I've had my criticism, Doc, maybe it leads to a more concerted effort from the star players. No, also, maybe like knowing that this is the year that if things don't work, then there could be more drastic stuff. But also, I think that their talent, this group fits together in my brain better. So that makes me want to move them up. But again, like we talked about, you kind of, it's the Sixers. You always want to see it before you believe it. Yeah, I just, like, I went in on the Sixers last year. Like, I went in on them. I, 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 I took a, a couple of positions in preseason on, on to win the East, and they were one of them. I, the bigger one I put in was, I bet Embiid doing MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, the level to which he did not win MVP uh, has... <laughs> has shaped my opinion of him pretty greatly like i just you know it's easy to be like well they didn't have ben simmons and the roster wasn't good around him i, I keep going back to the fact i'm like josh richardson shot 37 percent last year and he's been he's been consistently like a 35 percent plus shooter in his career uh horford was known as a good shooter before he went to the sixers like horford was considered to be an all nba level talent and then he goes to the sixers I know he's older, but to go from what he was to what he was last year, and everyone's like, oh, man, poor Sixers, poor Embiid, they got Horford. I'm like, that doesn't – this is very out of character for the for what I would have expected from a career trajectory for a player like Al Horford who's not, like, hyper-athletic. Um, they had other guys. It didn't work. And one of the reasons it didn't work, and even without Simmons, they still should have been able to push the Celtics. They should have absolutely scared the crap out of the Celtics. And the reason they didn't is Embiid still can't handle a double team. Like, at some point, we are going to have to take the kid gloves off when talking about Joel Embiid. The Instagram beasts are great, but the guy's going to have to actually back up who it is that he's supposed to be and who he talks about being. You know, can't beat up on Andre Drummond all the time. You're going to have to actually be the guy. Um, now look, I, I have every faith in Daryl Morey, and if he thinks that this combination that he's put around them now is going to be better, love Danny Green, he's icy hot, but I still think the defense will be great. Um, I'm very low on Seth Curry, but he was really good last year, and the shooting should provide like a big help. 
I love Simmons. I'm higher on Simmons than I've ever been. Uh, like I watched, I went through a day, like a deep dive on him and just, he's just so incredible. Um, everyone focuses on what he can't do and ignores how sensational he is at everything else. Yeah, that's a really um, good point. And so it's like, honestly, if they traded Embiid and just put two more shooters around, I would be higher on this team. I just, I would be because I'm just like, I don't know what I'm getting from Embiid every night. Like if we're talking about floor, I have no idea what I'm getting from Joel Embiid every night. I don't know. So how am I supposed to have a lot of faith in this team? When they have, you know, and Doc is a good coach, we'll, I will see how this goes. But a lot of this for me comes down to everyone has blamed the front office and the uh, the messed up situation there and then coaching and then the roster and all of these things. And I just keep going back to like if Joel Embiid was better, none of this would be the problem. Like we wouldn't talk about this team the same way. So um, that's why they're lower. If Embiid plays, if Embiid raises his floor, if he brings it every night and he's a guy you could trust and he can handle a double team, they're absolutely a tier two team, might be a tier one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no arguments there. Uh, I'll, I'll, I mean, because I, I think, see, so because you, you have the, your next thing is just the Rockets, right? Or do you have something between that? No, tier four is just the Rockets. Yeah, okay. so I have them in my tier four as well, but we drew them differently. And I actually had Houston a tier above before they made the Wall Westbrook trade. Um, I've been struggling with how to process, like, if the Rockets kept that, kept the pre-Wall Westbrook team together, like exactly how good they'd be because they lost Covington and that hurts. But also a team that has James Harden is going to have a very good offense. And we don't know exactly what Steven Silas is going to be different than Mike D'Antoni in terms of how the team looks. So like I had them in tier three just because like definitely good, not definitely great. But now the other big thing that changes is while I think Wall is actually a better fit with Harden when healthy, the challenge is we don't know what healthy John Wall looks like. We don't know how much we're going to see of that. Whereas Westbrook, like he he was going to be on the floor more. And so when we're talking about worst case scenario kind of things, it's the Rockets are shallow. They're a very shallow team. And so if one of their five best players can only play half the season, then that's a huge problem because somebody else is going to need to step in. You know what's funny? is this is like a super Matt Moore contrarian take. If you told me right now that Harden was traded for uh, three good role players and two good prospects, I would have the Rockets in tier three. Really? If you told me Harden was going to stay on the team the entire year, I would have the Rockets in tier five. See, I just don't think their other uh, I think their other pieces are aren't good enough to like take to take the reins if that's what happens. And then at least right now, like how, so is that is that post is that post wall trade or was that true either way? Uh, it's post wall trade. OK. And it's built off of um, the, this is mostly just like chemistry. This is my big thing with Harden is just when a player doesn't want to be there. I've seen this before. Um, the benefit of, of doing this long enough is you get to see these situations play out over and over again. Mm-hmm. Look at the Pelicans when they had Davis and during that entire mess after he uh, declared that he wanted out, right? And even before that, they knew that he wanted out. Look at the Nuggets, who are the best example of this, as a playoff team that had gone to the Western Conference Finals in 2009 and then 2010-11 out. They haven't traded him yet. They're trying to, you know, to uh, extort the best offer from New York and the whole season was just a mess like they would win some games but it was just clear like the Nuggets were just a mess because you can't play with somebody who has said I don't want to be here I don't want to I don't want to play with you you don't feel like you're like if they're not in why are you in if the best player is not in why would you be in and so the the chemistry impact of the stuff I think don't think can be understated like Harden will go out and do his thing sure but like if we know Harden 
his defensive effort waxes and wanes when the team is good. What's it going to be like in these circumstances? Well, and they also have way worse defensive personnel for what you kind of need to run around Harden. Like this is yeah. this is not the same roster that they had to end last season. Right. Um, versus if you were able to get like a, a let's say they did the, the Nets deal, right? And the Nets deal makes a little less sense now with Christian Wood versus before without Jared Allen. Um, but if they have Wall, Lavert, Tucker, um, Wood, Gordon, House, I'm like, okay, like that makes sense. That team makes sense. I can figure that out. Like, you know, if they're like, they're probably like, they got a little bit more versatility, you know, they like, they'll be decent. They'll be pretty good. They won't be great. They'll be pretty decent. Like they're, they're Pacers ish, right? Versus, you know, if it's just like, oh, we're trying to run Harden ball, but he's halfway and disinterested and we don't know what he's going to like. It's just, to me, this is just a mess. And that's why I have to put the Rockets in tier four. I hadn't thought as much about the buy-in challenges there, but I do think that's a fair point. My counter, though, and I agree with you on the defensive limitations, is just that I think Harden's going to try on offense, <laughs> and that's enough to kind of push them to push them in. Maybe it's not. Maybe that. Maybe I'm underrating that. But I think I still think the world of Harden as an offensive player, even if playing with him sounds like not the most fun thing in the world. But it is a real challenge. Um, also, I'll briefly go through my tier five because these teams are kind of covered by your other ones. And I called it a little shaky. And for me, that's the Warriors and the Suns. And so on pure talent, I think I'd have them higher. But I think it's the kind of specific floors. Both teams have point guards with injury histories that are important to it. And with the Suns, I think if we were doing this on expected value, they'd be higher if we're doing anything else. It's just like, I kind of need to see it a little bit. And something Seth Partnow said a few weeks ago is really rattling around in my brain, which is that Chris Paul teams generally don't play like the Suns did last year. And so how does that creative friction settle? Does it? I think it leads to a slower Suns, which could be okay, but it's just going to be a little bit different. Um, and does, you know, like maybe they use some grab and go guys, maybe they do it in different ways, but I'm interested in how kind of how much, what their half court percentage is, like how I think their half court offense is going to be better. And also like, I think, I think what you were getting at in terms of Pythag and everything else is that the Suns defense could be meaningfully better than I think some, some are expecting. Yeah. And you know, I think they're gonna miss Baines. They're gonna miss Oubre, but they added enough. For me to be like, no, I'll be all right. Like, sorry, getting Saric back is a good is good. Like, their wings are good. I like Etwan more. I've always so do I. Oh, oh, their their perimeter rotation is so much so much mm. deeper now. I mean, they're four deep at forwards, and then they have a bunch of two guards that I really. I mean, Langston Galloway could be a really nice fit for them. I wish they had a little bit more depth at the one, just because like Cameron Payne was great in the bubble, but I'm still a little bit unsure there. It's Cameron Payne, yeah, yeah, and then also. They have some real problems with the five. Now, they used charge there in the bubble, and that, and I think in the regular season, you know, you can kind of dabble in that, especially because they have so much forward depth and they could slide some guards around and all that. But if it ends up, if there ends up being a point, especially if Aiton misses time, and, you know, I'm not pricing this in any more than anybody else, but it's like they don't really have any, like, that's the only position where, like, the Suns are really deep except for one specific spot. And while I believe that Aiton's going to play, I hope he doesn't get suspended again. I doubt he does. That would be a big, big problem because I don't trust Damian Jones in the slightest. And while you can solve that problem with like a center off the street, you have to actually get one. And I'm not sure that they're going to do that. Yeah, uh, Aiden is interesting too, just in that uh, he made such a leap last year in so many meaningful areas. Like he was, I mean, Monty Williams did some work with that kid. Yeah, and uh, and, and he he provided more of an effort defensively. I thought that yeah. 
surrounding him with better talent also helped and like having presumably having at least one possibly two strong defensive forwards and Chris Paul is going to make a world of difference it's a good reminder that if you have a player that's defensively especially a, a young big who's defensively vulnerable surround him with veterans and that like the perimeter containment will make up for a lot like simplify what he's asked to do and the challenges that are upon him and he can be fine to good um that's an interesting lesson but at the same time they're a little bit more reliant on the younger guys right like Mm -hmm. they're a little bit more reliant on on bridges and and cam johnson like they're a little bit more reliant on that because of the changes that they made uh there's no way to tell what you're gonna get jay crowder shot 29 percent in memphis had one of the worst net ratings on the team i wanted them to keep him anyway because i knew what he was going to do in the bubble and in the or like in the playoff environment uh when like like down the stretch of meaningful games i thought they should have kept him um it was not surprising me what he did with miami uh, but there's no way to tell what he's going to do with this team. Like Jay's just, he's a mystery box every single time. You know, the, the injury issues with Paul are legitimate. Like the man has no meniscus. He had both meniscus removed. So like, that's a thing. Um, but he's proved he's, you know, the going vegan and all the switches he's made, like there's reason to believe that he'll hang in there. So they should be, I think their, their floor is still, still pretty high. My tier five, uh, are good, but not smart. And this team is the Grizzlies, the Magic, the Pelicans, the Bulls, and the Wizards. Um, all of those teams are defined either by superstars that are bullheaded, i.e. Westbrook, um, or by young teams that don't know what they're doing, or the Magic, who simply, I don't think they're smart enough to change up what they're doing. Like The Magic are going to be fine. Like They'll be fine, as they've been for the last 10 years. They'll be fine. But, you know, they're not going to be great. They're not going to be terrible. They're just going to be there. Uh, I think people are kind of – I know the Isaac thing is big, but I think people are kind of overstating – like the to put this in, in odds perspective, the Hawks have better odds to win the Southeast Division than the Magic do. That's a little crazy. I See, I, 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 I actually agree with that. Um, that's wild to me. Um, so, we can talk about the Hawks in a minute, but uh, I don't think there's a lot, a lot to say about this group, but just like Grizzlies, Magic, Pelicans, Bulls, Wizards. The Bulls are maybe the, the most controversial pick there. I have a lot of confidence in Arturis Karnasovas. I have a lot of confidence in Billy Donovan. The the coaching upgrade alone is going to like the Bulls should have been a 500 team last year. They'll be a 500 team this year. Yeah. So I mean, I, I haven't counted out the numbers yet, but I was kind of trying trying to group these remaining this remaining group like a collection of teams, and I kind of ended up doing a top, middle, and bottom. And the bottom were just the teams that's like, okay, either they're not good now or the four could drop out. Then the middle tier was like teams I didn't feel strongly enough about to put them in the bottom of the top tier. And then the top tier were, I trust them a little bit more. And so mine is the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, and the Hawks. And this is mostly a talent thing. I really considered the Wizards as well. I considered the Bulls. Um, and there are other, and there are teams that could move up, but remember, we're focusing on four. And the reason I put those three teams there is, so for Atlanta, they have a lot of offensive talent now. I mean, they have, and they're, and they're a deep team. Now, how Lloyd Pierce figures out who plays and in what configurations? I, I don't know. Like there, there's a real challenge there, but at least they have the critical mass of talent, and that was a huge problem for Atlanta in particular at the beginning of last year, but really kind of throughout. You brought up the idea of you know coaching preventing what the Bulls from being a 500 team. To me, it was a few of those low end roster moves by Schlenk that really kneecapped the Hawks from having that potential. Not a guarantee, and so now they have options, and I'm not sure it's going to work, but it could. The Pelicans. 
I, you know, like they, they were they were so good pre-bubble when Zion played and they have a lot of talent and losing Drew Hurts, but they added some real depth and they still have some of those guys, though things moved around. And, and, and like, I think Bledsoe, there, there's this, like, if we're talking about popular perception, there are players who are like better, who are, who are better 82 game than 16 game, but because they were in a certain situation, we think more about one way or the other. And I think yeah. Bledsoe is a great example of that. Like, yeah, he's a very flawed 16 game player. That's part of why I didn't love him on the Bucks. I thought that it was a mistake that they didn't bring in anybody kind of other around him. That's why I criticized the Brogdon thing. But New Orleans doesn't really need to care about the 16 too much right now. And Bledsoe's going to help them. Like, I think that the margin between Bledsoe and Drew for what the Pelicans are looking for is going to be smaller. And I love Drew Holiday. I think that he, I, I think a lot of him, but I think that's going to help them. And I don't love the Adams acquisition in a macro sense. I think that the opportunity cost, especially with the extension was high, but I think they'll be more stable defensively and that there are ways to make it work offensively. I'm interested in how Stan Van makes this happen, but also like I, I, so the Pelicans there and then the Grizzlies, I nearly moved them down with the kind of like a little bit scary stuff with, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. missing the start of the season. We don't know exactly what's going on with Justice Winslow. But Jaws, Jaw was very good last year, and he's going to improve. Taylor Jenkins, I think, is going to the, the you know they'll they'll be able to build, and they're just they're a deeper team now, and that they won't necessarily have that depth from day one. But I just buy those three teams a little bit more than everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I I might move the Grizzlies down just based off of um, those concerns. I mean. Uh, I, I do think that there's – but part of me just is just like, look, they got Ja, they got Valanchunas, and Valanchunas is really underrated. The Pelicans – here's a, a thing with the Pelicans. One reason I can't put them higher, Adams very sneakily, I would like – I resist against Thunder fans telling me that his defense had slid. I was like, no, he's still awesome. No, no, no. And it got to a point where I was like – yeah, it's not as good as it used to be. Yep. He has so many miles on him. Like, that's the problem with Adams. It's just like he played on those Thunder teams that went deep into May every single year, and he played huge minutes from his rookie season. Like, he just played and played, you know? He was started from, what, year two on? And he was just, like, he was such a, a huge part of those teams for such a long time and did so much bruising work. His body's just not the same. And so, um, you know, Bledsoe's a great defender. Ball is an excellent help defender. Comes and goes with him on ball. Um, Ingram is spotty. That's being Zion, generous. Zion is all over the place. <laughs> also uh, maybe generous. <laughs> Yeah. He was so bad defensively last year. Um, well, here's what's crazy, though, is like his physical impact was such a big deal that the numbers still bore out. Oh, yeah. Like, that was until the bubble happened. And then it was just like they were playing nothing but good teams. <laughs> and it was like, oh, yeah. But the, here's the other thing. I, that team was was very visibly broken chemistry wise in the bubble. Like it was just apparent. They quit. Like you can and I don't tend to overstate these things or, or you know, I believe the metrics, like, even if there's chemistry issues, whatever. But I think there is a specific tension between Ball, Ingram and Zion, who all believe that they are superstar talents. And I think that there's a level of discomfort with how they are all being asked to sacrifice for the other. I think Zoe is probably the easiest one because Zoe is just like, I will throw lobs to Zion all day. Like their connection is crazy. I watch some of their half court lobs. And it's, it's, nuts. it's wild. Um, Ingram is too good to move, right? They extended him on the max. When I watched him and Zion on the court together, it was a lot of Ingram dribbles and tries to shake his man for 14 seconds and then runs out of space and makes a 911 pass to Zion. And so 
there are a, a lot of question marks I have about this specific combination of players. Um, and I, I, I need to see their chemistry be in a good spot before I buy in to what they can be. And their floor, I think, has to be considered a little bit lower because of that. That's a really fair point. And I think that, you know, getting into the interpersonal, it's a benefit for those teams that kind of the guys grow up together, where you kind of you you give people more latitude when you have that experience and you have that connection on a different level. And this team was, to a large extent, kind of not thrown together in a way to criticize David Griffin. It's just they didn't draft them. They didn't grow. Like I'm think I think about you know for to an extent like those Warriors guys where Clay, Steph, and Draymond. If you had tossed them in in a different circumstance, might have clashed more than they did because they you know they went through those years when they were terrible and you know they grew into better players together and so that gave them more. They each gave each other a little bit more space. What I think is interesting about the Pels is. They could generate that space, but they have to win. Like that that's the big challenge. Like winning is the lubricant. It is the disinfectant. And I'm not sure this Pelicans team is going to do enough of that, but I also think that they're talented enough that like so here's the way I'm thinking about it. And this is how why I put the Pelicans in this tier, not as if and teams don't play on neutral site, but if there was a neutral site game, you just rolled out the ball and you gave the put the Pelicans on one side of the court and you put the Bulls on the other side, I think the Pelicans are have better talent. And I think that Stan Van is, I would probably have as a better coach than Billy Donovan. I'm not the biggest fan of Billy. It, it'll depend on kind of, we'll, we'll get a good test of it with each of them having very different teams now. But so that's why I put New Orleans there. And they're, you know, New Orleans is, is actually like kind of deep. I wish they were a little bit deeper, but I think they have enough, like they have enough guys in the rotation that I trust. And that's, that's an, another nice benefit. Yeah. Um, my tier six I described it as the miss the ladder rung. And what I mean by that is they're the team that has the ability to jump up and reach for the ladder. And sometimes they're just going to miss and slip off that ladder rung and fall on their, on their back. Mm -hmm. Um, Spurs, the wolves, the Kings, the thunder. Uh, I think the thunder will be better than people expect. Uh, And the Hawks. Look, this team was horrendous defensively. Clint Capella was not great with Houston last year defensively. The only real answer for why will the Hawks be better on defense, the only answer is, well, they added Capella. Gallo's not a good defender. Bogdanovich is not a great defender. Uh, Trey Young is the worst defender in the league. John Collins is one of the worst defenders in the league. Herter, one of the worst defenders in the league. We like we know Trey can bomb threes. He did it last year. We know he'll dish a lot of assists. He did it last year. Why is this team going to be good? Why is this team going to be meaningfully good? They're not going to be good on defense. I mean, I think that, and and they're not going to be like maybe this is maybe the Hawks to an extent are the East the East Bla- Blazers where. There's a difference between being like legitimately good and being, you know, like around a 500 team. And for me, that's the Hawks. I think they're going to be very good on offense. I think that they'll be maybe, I mean, remember they were 26th last year, but there were some real big structural problems. And I think they resolved a lot of those. So let's say they're around the 25th or 26th defense. And so that, and that to me is entirely possible. I could see them being straight up bottom five, like, you know, probably not worse than the league because there are a couple real contenders for that. But bad, legit bad. But if you are a top, let's say a top 10 offense and a around fifth from the bottom defense, you're going to be, you know, a little bit under 500, you know, kind of around that range. Like San Antonio was kind of like that last year. I, I San Antonio was maybe a little bit, they're better defensively than I would expect from the Hawks, but they could be in that, in that range. But 
thinking of the Hawks as dramatically better than that, I think that's where the real problem's getting. Because remember, I'm couching that in, they're going to have a around a bottom five defense. If somebody thinks they're going to have like the 20th or the 15th, then you the projections could get rosier. But I also, like you, don't know how people get there. Yeah, I just... Um... Let's compare them to another team that's got a great offensive capacity and no defense, and then Timberwolves. Because people, if I ask you, most people, who's going to be better next year, the Hawks or the Wolves? They're going to be like, oh, the Hawks. Hawks are going to be way better. Okay. The best player is Trey Young. The best player on the Wolves is Carl Anthony Towns. I would say that they're about, like, relative to their positions, I think they're about equal in terms of, like, what their, their production. Like, Towns is an all world offensive talent. They're both horrendous defensively. Um, who's the second best player on the Hawks? Is it Bogdanovich? Do we think it's Bogdanovich? Yeah, I think it, I think it probably is. I mean, there will be nights when it's Gallo and Collins and Capella, but I would say Bogdanovich probably night in, night out. And then okay. D'Lo, so, presumably. Yeah, and then D'Lo. And I can understand someone saying, like, oh, I like Bogey better because D'Lo does a lot of dumb stuff. Okay, D'Lo's still really talented. Like, he's just really talented. Um, the third best player is is either Gallo or Bogey, depending on, on where you go. Third best player in uh, Minnesota, pending his very problematic legal issues, is Malik Beasley, who was just incendiary last year. As a score. Um, as a score. Terrible defensively. <laughs> um, you know, fourth best is either, you know, Galley, Bogues, or Capella. And then fourth best is like Rubio. And it's just like, those two teams are, are very much mirrors to me where well, I'm see, just he, like, uh, yeah. Here's they, here's how I disagree. So I think I think that you're you're right on a couple of points, but I disagree. Okay, one thing. Yes, it is true that both Towns and Young are disappointing defensively. One of them plays a more important position defensively. And it's so much harder sure. to create a good defense when your center isn't doing it. Now, it is possible. There have been teams that have done it. But you know what team doesn't have the personnel to do that? The Minnesota Timberwolves. And the other part is the, like, I, I refer to this as the critical mass, like the critical mass of NBA level players. Like, I think the Hawks can put out a rotation where either all 48 or pretty close to it of their minutes are by guys that I don't, that don't really scare me that much and don't really scare me that much together. Maybe that's overrating offense and underrating defense, but I think defense, you can coach a little bit more, but like Minnesota, their three and four rotation is straight up horrifying. Like they yeah. have their guard depth is okay, and they and Towns is Towns is a wonderful talent and a guy you can build around. And so that's what like if we're talking about floors, that's what scares me about Minnesota is they like they don't really have the guys to throw in if things that look like they're not going to work don't work. Um, I'm really disappointed San Antonio didn't do anything. Yeah, I, I felt like they had they had a real capacity to shake things up and maybe be good this year. Like I or, think that they're just like trade their veterans and yeah. do something. They're, like they're an they're an interesting team if you take out the two highest paid players on the team. Yeah, and I'm infuriated DeRozan is still there. I, I think it's here's here's what's crazy though. I think they'd be good if they traded Aldridge and kept DeRozan. I think they'd be good if they kept Aldridge and traded DeRozan or kept DeRozan and traded like either way. If you kept one and not the other, I think they'd be good. It's the combination of those two specifically. Like I literally made money last year just betting against Spurs first quarters because I think I did a they, little of that too. They were always so in the negative to start. Game. I actually did better. I think betting Spurs second quarters than first quarters sometimes. Like it, yeah, you could also do the opposite where like this, the bench would go like crazy and get them back into games. It's infuriating. Um, so yeah, there's just like a miss there. My final tier because we've gone so long is uh, uh, this was like there, there's a video game that my son and I play uh, where the the character basically has no like internal core. Like it's just like this limp figure that you have to try and suspend like a puppet to try and get him to to 
figure out puzzles. They're like that. Like they have no internal core. There's nothing to hold them up. Their floor, they have no floor. They can be as terrible as possible. Uh, the Cavaliers, the Knicks, and the Pistons, no surprise in any of those. And the Hornets. What in God's name is this team, Danny? What in God's name is LaMelo Ball, Devontae Graham, P.J. Washington, Gordon Hayward as a core? What in God's name is this team? I don't know. Uh, I mean, with and with the Hornets, first of all, I mean, if this could be one of, if it ends up being, and remember, I was the proponent of Hornets over, baby, uh, an all-timer of a team's, a team overperforming their point differential and their front office thinking that they were better than they were. Like, the Hornets were terrible last year. And I was, like, when I picked their over aggressively, I was wrong. Like, I was straight up wrong. I got bailed out by everything. But mm-hmm. they, they were more successful in close games, which is funny when you consider the historical problems from before. And thinking about how it's going to translate this year, they're defense is a major problem. I mean, I don't know how much they're going to play Lamella, but he was, the defensive film on him was broadly terrible and young guys are generally bad at defense. And they're, the moves that they made didn't really improve them on that. And I think the offense could be a little bit better. So I actually have them in the next tier. I just think that like the Cavs and the Knicks, to me, it's very hard for me to imagine those teams really putting it together. But it's, so I, I kind of have a, I have a smaller bottom tier. But with and with the Pistons, it's so it, with them. It's this, and I'm going to ask you. You're a very smart guy. I respect your opinion a lot. How is this supposed to work? Like if Troy Weaver, and we'll, we'll say that we'll we'll encompass the whole organization gores and everything else into Troy Weaver for the sake of this exercise. If this team goes exactly as he intends, what are they good at, and how does that translate into being a reliably successful team? I think a large part of the plan, they have a number of ways to get there. I'll say that. Like, I think it's not going to work, but they're betting. Let's start with Jeremy Grant. They're betting that Grant is the defensive player that he was in the bubble, in the playoffs specifically, because we talked about Grant earlier. He was great versus Kawhi Leonard. He is one of the best defenders I've ever seen on Kawhi. Um, He's one of the only good defenders I've ever seen on Kawhi. He's great versus Paul George. Did okay versus LeBron. Did okay versus Davis was excellent versus Donovan Mitchell. You have versatility at the three spot. He's a three now. Three, he can shoot. He thinks he could drive a little bit and score on his own. Don't know about that. Blake comes back at some version of himself. So you have this passing, playmaking, post-up, scoring guy next to a slashing wing. You can switch those two conceptually. Um, I don't know, like Mason Plumlee is the veteran. You have some young talent at the center spot. Mason is is a willing passer. You have a lot of passing on the team, right? Because you have, uh, you've got Rose and you've got Hayes and you've got, uh, Blake, who's a fantastic sublime passer. Grant's a willing passer and Mason Plumlee is a good passer. Like that overall combination, you could say like, well, they're going to be able to pass a lot. They're gonna be able to cut. Um, I don't know about shooting, but like theoretically they have some scores off the bounce and like that's how it goes. The only way I see this really working is that, is if Hayes is just like killer because he was he was so well liked by the by the by draft Twitter and the scouting people that I know. Like Hayes is just like was one of the ones like I bet heavily on Hayes to go under 10 because I knew how much the scouting consultants were all going to be like get Hayes. Um that's like to me is like the only way that this works. It's just assuming that so many deficiencies and vulnerabilities 
it's like if you they are absolutely a ceiling team, Danny. If you take the best version of all of their players, that team is pretty good. If you take the average version of all those players, it's not great. If you take the bad version of even two of those players in a five-man rotation, they're awful. And that, to me, I think is a problem. You're muted. Thank you. Um, so I, I kind of get... I kind of get the you, what you were getting at in terms of like yeah you could, if you can run an offense through Blake and he you know great passer with the the dynamism that he can bring to it if he's a hundred percent but when you pair him with a big man that you don't have to respect his jump shot and potentially depending on how they want to structure the rest of the rotation like a guard maybe that you don't have to respect their jump shot it gets harder and you know Grant is a he's becoming slightly more confident shooter but he's still a little bit on the reluctant side and then you think about just like okay how's the defense going to function you know you, the, you brought up the like the the Griffin Grant thing I think that's a real challenge but also they, they don't really have great guys for cleaning up messes that's not the best Mason Plumley strength and we don't know exactly how their perimeter rotation is going to work but if they're starting or giving heavy minutes to a rookie point guard who's just played in like he's played against guys older than him but played in France that's going to be a big problem and then I don't know exactly what they're going to do what they're going to end up doing at the two but I mean odds are it's going to be somebody who's defensively limited because that's pretty much who they have unless they go with the lawn and Hayes and then you have a whole bunch of other issues so like and the big the other big thing for me with the Pistons is the kind of the like if it doesn't work they have there there aren't many like counters like oh okay you can add more shooting if you throw in guys like Svi and Wayne Ellington is on this team and all that but you can't really you know like the forward line you don't have that kind of versatility and uh, and then centers it's Plumley and then a bunch of largely unproven guys you know like unproven rookies in certain cases or you know just like not a ton of track record and so I it's it's a real it's a real challenge and so I could see the Pistons you know like if if Hayes and all that like the other part with you brought this up and I think it's great to talk about Hayes as being an important part of their ceiling exceedingly few extremely young point guards who even end up being like really good end up working out immediately so like you could even see like the Pistons future is brighter than their present and the but their present just isn't that good and they spent so much money on their present so like, much money it's just crazy. Well, and uh, like I mean, the other part of that, we'll see. I mean, it's possible that both the Pistons and the Hornets could end up, especially with lottery reform, doing the thing that we'd wondered about, which is they tried to be good. It didn't work, and they end up getting the players that we thought they were going to cost themselves in the draft anyway. Like if right. the Hornets end up getting a top three pick this coming year, despite giving Gordon Hayward an, a, an appalling sum of money. I mean, then it it is bad. Like, I mean, but it's it's like the opportunity cost is dramatically lower. I think especially with all of these Western Conference teams that are trying, yeah, maybe some of them take their foot off the accelerator. Things don't work out. Inevitably, teams are going to get hurt. But like if those teams fall off, they it's it's not like you have your cake and eat it, too. But it kind of is in this weird, perverse, depressing way. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'll, I'll say this. Like there may be an opportunity. I heard I've heard executives like more than one person told me this, which is what was surprising. They said I wouldn't be surprised if a few teams just punt this season because it's going to be such a mess. I thought more teams were going to do that in terms of personnel, also because you you aren't the revenue with fans not being there for at least the beginning mm-hmm. of the season was going to be different. Um, I think they still want to get to the floor for whatever, for whatever reason. So I, I just think that a lot of it is like okay, like if if we think about the Pistons and you're like we're really planning for year two, okay, we're going to develop Hayes, we're going to grow Jeremy Grant into what he thinks he is, which is a versatile three combo forward. 
um, you know, we're going to develop Bay. We're going to develop Stewart. We're going to develop these kids. Um, we're going to increase Rose and Griffin's trade value. That gets a little bit more interesting. Like a lot of this simply is if they traded Blake Griffin for a combo platter of two veterans and picks, then all of a sudden you're like, okay, all right. You know, like you get like a standard two guard and you're like, okay, this makes a little bit more sense now. It's just that they, it, a lot of it is just, they wrapped up 85 million in the, what was the regular season Nuggets backup front court. Yep. Like they paid 85 million for the Nuggets. But now Grant was always going to be the starter this year. I want to make that very clear. Like, I'm not saying like he's a backup. He's not, he's absolutely a starter quality. The Nuggets from the time that they traded a first round pick for Jeremy Grant, their plan was for 2020, 21. The plan was absolutely, uh, to start Jeremy Grant next to Michael Porter Jr. But last year he didn't come in and like dominate to a level to which he earned it over Millsap and Millsap was still better. And so, uh, in the playoffs, that was different, but Millsap also had some stuff going on. Uh, but yeah, like the Pistons spent 85 million on Mason Plumlee and Jeremy Grant. And they also drafted Isaiah Stewart. <laughs> like it, and they kept Blake Griffin and just like all of this is like very confusing. And so, um, I think one thing though is, is there might be a long-term plan to trade Blake and they simply couldn't get it done because a few people I've talked to were surprised. Like they talked, most people I talked to last night about the reaction to the wall Westbrook deal was that's a good, really good deal for Washington because you just don't know about John's health and you can't take risks with health this season. You have to have guys that you know can play because you don't know the availability of everybody else. Yeah. So yeah, that may it, could be, like, it could be Blake is in a similar situation to Oladipo where teams are being risk averse and they want to see it before they do, before they, before they yeah. do anything. And that's totally fair. Two more bullet points and then I'll let you go. One, the Cavs and Knicks are going to be bad and there's yep. no problem with that. I actually think that's a, a good thing. I, I'm, I'm broadly yep. supportive of what both of them did in the offseason in that concept. I'm not a particular fan of certain players that were drafted, but anyway, we get to that. But then the other part, you brought this up, and I think it warrants a little bit. As currently constituted, I actually think the Thunder could be pretty good. I don't know how long they're going to be in this constitution. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's like if they get an offer for Horford, you know, he's gone. I don't know. Like What, what, what I really don't know is... You have to do right by Shea at some point. The poor kid was in L.A., part of a young, upcoming core. He gets traded here last year, was part of a team that surprised everybody, played exceptionally well. He's this young star, and now he has no one around him. Like, one of the reasons I think they could be very good is I'm just like, if you put Shea and Gilgis Alexander and Al Horford in pick and roll 50 times a game, that's all right. Like, that's not bad, you know? I like that better than, you know, Derrick Rose, Jeremy Grant. Um, but if they trade Horford, it gets really, really sticky. The rest of their wings are awful. They'll develop some guys. I know they will. They've got a good development staff. But um, I do think at some point, like, I don't know. I think I don't necessarily know if it's fair to keep Shea in this situation because, like, he's not quite young enough. Like, he's been in the league a few years. He deserves to start moving in the right direction as opposed to being stuck in what a team that is – understandably and very deliberately and has very clearly stated its intentions to tank year after year after year to rebuild the championship core the same way that they did with Durant, Westbrook, and Harden. One of the reasons that they have all those picks is they know it won't be as easy as last time. Yeah. The, so the rules are different and the rules are different. So they're going to, it's going to be harder for them. And that's why they're increasing their opportunities to trade up and extra picks and do everything else. Like, but that's absolutely their intention. Like that's what they're doing. And so I, I do wonder, like, the Thunder have to be – their floor has to be pretty low because they have no wings. They have no shooting. But they're going to be tough. I think there's probably – they're going to be they're going to surprise people because that's a very well-run organization. There's going to be uh, some continuity left over. Al Horford's got more in the tank than people realize. Um, I think they're going to be better than, than expected even if they're not good. 
Yeah, I have them in the bottom tier, not because I think they're bad right now, but because I think that if they need to, they will move the players who are not making the bad right now to make them bad right now. And I think doing right by Shea is more about year four, probably, than anything else. And I think by that point, it'll be fine. Like, they'll, you know, they'll have enough bites at it. And I... The weirdest thing for me about the Thunder as presently constructed is how many guys they have that I would like for other teams. And so it just feels like this game, like George Hill. Yeah. Trevor Reza. Yeah, of course. And so like, that's what makes me think that those deals will happen is it, it just makes sense for them to be other places. Like these, these aren't hard sells. Horford is the more, is the bigger challenge. I think Horford could be on the roster for the entirety of the season, maybe even some or all of the following season. But everybody else, I think they'll be they'll be gone by they'll be gone by the All Star break, if not much sooner. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, I mean, we've talked plenty. Anything else you want to convey? Nope. Thanks for doing this. Loved it. Love to hear people's feedback. I like how much people enjoy this podcast. Thanks for having me, as always, Danny. Thanks again to Matt Moore. You can, of course, check out his amazing work at the Action Network, and you can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. And love having Matt on. Think that we always have really fascinating conversations that I learn a lot from, and I, I hope and think that he does too. And it's a lot to kind of do during this time of the season. Hopefully, you guys listened to the podcast I did with Sam Vicini, where we talked about the draft and a little bit about free agency, and just a lot of different kind of pieces of the puzzle that are all fitting in at the same time with this new calendar and you know the extension window closing for guys that aren't on the uh, that are on a lot of the common extension timelines and transactions and training camp and everything else and so i don't know week to week exactly what real jam radio will be but there will always be one and uh, we'll have great guests because there's and good discussions because there's a lot of things to discuss if you want to support the show there are a lot of different ways you can do it you can subscribe and download that's great in whatever podcast player you're using whether it's Apple, Spotify, really, wherever wherever you listen to podcasts. And then word of mouth, always useful. And leaving a rating, leaving a review. That helps other people find the show. And it really does help us out. You can also check out my other work, written work at The Athletic. Have a piece breaking down how free agency and all that changed 2021 spending power. That's out now and have a bunch of other things in the works right now. We'll see how those move towards publication, of course. And then dunked on Nate and I, free episodes Sunday evening slash Monday morning, and then dunked on Prime is everything else and ad-free versions of, of the public episode. And Nate's doing a lot of great work. I'll do some of it too um, with local writers and kind of getting getting all 30 teams in as best we can. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I promise I will read it. I'll respond if I can. I I'm, I'm hope to be better about that, but reading it, that's that's really what the goal should be. And I promise that. We will be back next week. As I said, I don't know exactly what the conversation will be, but I, I have a couple people kind of in line, so it'll be a lot of fun. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.